right, today guys, I get to interview Alan Stein Jr., the man who has coached most of the prolific NBA players, who's been on the Ed Milet podcast, who's been on Chris Williamson's podcast, who's been on Jim Rohn's podcast. Like, these are all icons to many of us, and this guy's been on, been able to been through the whole circuit, coaching these NBA players. I am so excited, Alan, to interview today, particularly because we're talking about high performance, psychology, all these things that make us better, which really applies deeply to business professionals and people that are doing great things in the financial world as well. Um, but let's get started. Like, let's hit right at it right away. So you're coaching an NBA player. These are the, the elite athletes. Like, what are you able to add to an elite athlete's mindset or life that they haven't already gotten in, in the process of getting to become an elite athlete? Well, first and foremost, I love your energy and I love your enthusiasm. So I'm ready to bring the fire. Um, one important distinction to make is most of the work that I did in the strength and conditioning space, I chose to focus at the youth and high school level. So many of the elite players that I had a chance to work with, I met them and started working with them when they were 14, 15 years old, you know, Kevin Durant being the most notable. So one of the things that makes my journey very unique is I got a chance to, to peek behind the curtain with a player like Kevin Durant before he became the Kevin Durant that we're all aware of and saw what it took for him to climb that proverbial mountain. Um, being able to work with elite high school players uh, got me on Nike's radar, Jordan Brand's radar, USA Basketball's radar. And then I was able to work some events like the Nike Summer Skills Academies uh, for guys like LeBron James and Kobe Bryant. And then I got a peek behind the curtain of what it takes to actually sustain excellence for long periods of time. So I've, I've kind of seen the before and I've seen the after uh, of what it takes. And it's been a really remarkable journey. And I now take those lessons and tell people how they can apply those, you know, in their lives. But uh, to, to answer the most pointed question, you know, there's a few things that I've noticed from all high performers in basketball and in business, both the before and the after they reach that, that pinnacle. Um, the first is they never get bored with the basics and they have a strong respect for the fundamentals of their craft. Number two is they learned how to blend confidence and humility. They've earned the right to be confident because they've put in the work during the unseen hours and they've worked towards mastery of their craft. But the humility is what allows them to stay open to coaching, stay open to feedback, and to know that no matter how good they get, they know they can still get better. So they blend that humility and confidence. And the third thing is they have a respect and appreciation for the process. They have very specific goals. You know, they want to make it to the NBA or they want to be an NBA all-star. They want to win a championship. They're very clear in their goals, but then they focus on the day-to-day. -day. You know, they ask themselves, what are the habits, the mindsets, the disciplines and the routines that I need to do every single day of my life to increase the chance that I'll make the NBA, that I'll be an all-star and I'll win a championship. So th those are three kind of jumping off points that I've noticed, you know, have very high utility amongst all high performers. So let's take us behind the scenes. So when you listen to a professional sports interview, they're literally saying, you know, I just master the fundamentals and so on and so forth. And I've seen enough of those interviews to know that that's true. But like behind the scenes, how much do they struggle with the, the boredom and, and those types of things that comes with doing the same thing over and over and over again? Uh, such an insightful question, because I think if we're being honest with each other, as we all should be, the basics and the fundamentals can become mundane. They can become monotonous. They can be, as you just said, they can get boring. But here's what I've noticed. Elite high performers know that those fundamentals are a means to an end. They're not an end itself. 
And one of the things that I would always say with the players I'd work with, I'd say, is winning boring? No, no, of course not. There's nothing boring about winning. All right, well, this is what's required for you to earn the right to win. So you have to learn how to, to, to take pride in doing the monotonous in order to do the things that, that you want to do and the things you want to achieve. You know, one of the, and I know it's a little bit cliche and a tad bit corny, but they are extraordinary at doing the ordinary. And that's what makes them so special where most people get bored doing the basics and try to skip, you know, to doing some advanced techniques that they're not ready for. The truly great ones actually enjoy working towards mastery of the simple. Yeah. Now you talk about this idea, not only of, of, of rising to success, right. But maintaining that success, maintaining that excellence. What were your disciplines in order to be able to retain all of these talented individuals from 14 into their twenties and thirties? Well, the number one thing is caring. Yeah. Caring matters. No matter who you're working with, if you're in the business world and you're working with a customer or a client or a member of your team, you're in the sports world and it's a player coach relationship or player to player relationship, caring matters. And it matters a lot. Uh, you have to care about yourself so that you're willing to pour into yourself and, and have the self care that you can show up as your best self. You have to care about the person that you're working with, you know, care about your teammates and your colleagues and your coworkers. You have to care about your craft and care about the job that you're doing. So caring really matters. And for me, the things I was trying to, to establish immediately, anytime I would work with someone was I wanted them to know that I cared about them as a human being, not just as an athlete, but as a human being, I cared about their goals and their dreams and what it was that they wanted to accomplish. Cause when I was working with players, it wasn't about me. It was about them. But I also wanted to earn and I wanted to give both trust and respect, which are the foundations of any solid relationship. And it was my experience that if they knew that I cared about them as a human, I would earn their respect and I would trust them and get them to trust me. Then the rest was fairly easy. You know, sets and reps and exercises, that part was pretty fluid. The hard part was the interpersonal skills and the actual connection. And my goal was to make sure my players knew that I would run through a brick wall for them, but then I would expect that they would run through a brick wall for me. Yeah. This is a really interesting thing. Um, I love how you talked about earlier, the confidence versus humility. That's been a definition that I've been working out in my mind these last six months, but the demanding of mutual respect. Um, this is something that I was kind of picking up in Robert Cialdini's book, Influence, where, you know, he talks about, you know, you don't just give and say, oh, no worries, right? There's an expectation of return. How do you present that uh, desire or demand for reciprocity of trust? Is it a directly stated thing or? Well, in my opinion, this is just my framework. I believe every human being walking the earth uh, deserves my initial respect. Now, they may do something to lose it. Just like trust, they may do something to lose my trust, but I don't feel anyone needs to earn my respect from the get-go. I'm going to give that to them just because I believe that's, that's the way that I want to live my life. And I'm going to give everyone the benefit of the doubt that they're doing the best they can with the tools that they have. You know, even when someone says something boneheaded or, or does something that's completely contradictory to what I would do, I have an appreciation that they're still doing the best they can with the framework in which they see the world. So I do my best not to judge and I try to lean in with curiosity and fascination, but I, I believe in giving respect, but at the same time, I, I care enough about myself that, that I won't let someone disrespect me. You know, I, I want to make sure that, that if I'm going to give others my respect, that they need to respect me and respect my boundaries and respect my beliefs and respect my approaches. 
doesn't mean they have to agree with them. And I have no problem with varying opinions. You know, I'll make a post on social. In fact, I just did this recently. I made a post on social about one of my parenting beliefs is that I never let my children win at anything. Like I try and beat them in everything that we do. And I had a few people say, you know, that they don't believe in that, that they have a different framework. And I said, that's absolutely cool with me. Like, I don't expect everyone to see the world the way that I do. And I certainly don't expect everyone to parent the way that I do. Everyone needs to find the right framework and operating system for themselves and do what's best for them. And, and I think that's something that, that tends to be eroding in our culture and society today, especially online, is we seem to lack the ability to have civil discourse and passionate conversations with people that disagree with us. Like it doesn't hurt my feelings at all if someone else chooses to let their kids win when they play games. Like I'll sleep fine at night. That's totally cool. But I do want to make sure that people have very strong convictions about what they believe in. And I just love having, you know, robust discussions, even if people disagree with me. 100%. And I think this gets into the confidence and humility, right? And, and so one of the things that I worked out in, in thinking about humility was, so originally my thought was, okay, humility is like lowering yourself, right? And then I started to see in business and in life, if you just falsely lower yourself, you just usually stop displaying confidence, but you're not more humble. Because like, you define humble as the ability to keep learning. Right. And so I think civil discourse has died because of a lack of humility. Right. It's this like I can't handle somebody else's opinion, so on and so forth. What's your take on like how do you define humility? And well, I don't look at humility as thinking of less of myself. I just think of humility as I just think of myself less and I try to think of others more often. You know, uh, it doesn't mean that I don't prioritize my own self-care, that, that I'm not ambitious in going after my personal North Stars. It means that I respect and I help empower others to do the same, that I don't go through the world thinking it's all about me and what I want to do and accomplish is the only thing that's important. In every single relationship, whether, you know, personal or professional, I want to put a huge value on what the other person is trying to accomplish or what the other person believes or, or values. And, and as I said, to me, humility is saying, I don't have all the answers. You know, I know the things that I know, but there is so much in this world that I don't know. And I want to stay open to learning. I want to stay open to competent feedback. I want to stay open to people coaching me that have, you know, blazed the path that I'm yet to travel. Uh, and no matter how good I get in any area of my life, I know I can still get better. You know, I will always be under construction. I'll always be a work in progress. There will always be a gap. And I am thankful for this. There will always be a gap between the man that I am and the man that I'm capable of being. And I don't ever want those two things to meet. I guess technically they could meet the day I'm on my deathbed. But right. other than that, I don't ever want to arrive. I don't want to reach that mountaintop. I enjoy the journey and I enjoy the pursuit and I enjoy the progress. Now, I don't want there to be a huge gap between the man I am and the man I'm capable of, but I'm fine with there being a razor's thin edge between those two because that's what's going to keep me humble. And, and I can look back, you know, uh, I'll be 48 in January. So I'm knocking on the door of 50 years old. And what I find so interesting, like many people in my teens and twenties, and if I'm honest, even in my early thirties, I significantly lacked humility. I thought I knew everything. I was very hard-headed, very judgmental, very opinionated. You know, you couldn't tell me anything. And every year since that I've gotten older and hopefully a little wiser and more mature, I realized not only how little that I knew then, but how much more I still need to learn and know now. Yeah. 
So I want to get the behind the scenes on you as a person. Like, who are you? What are you capable of? What practices do you install to become the man that you're capable of? Kind of walk us through like Alan Stein today versus Alan Stein in the future. Here's the framework that I use, and, and I will get back to answering this specific question. I have great clarity of the man that I'm trying to become. So as I just mentioned, I'm almost 48 years old. So I'm going to crystallize the man I want to be 20 years from now, the 68-year-old Alan. Now, I say with a huge smile that we all know tomorrow is not promised. Time is not guaranteed. Now, I take really good care of myself. So barring something unforeseen, I don't see any reason why I won't live another 20 years but I also know that that's not guaranteed. And, and knowing that it's not guaranteed, make sure that I'm, I'm living in the moment as often as I can and valuing each and every, every day. But without getting too granular, the sick, I want the 68-year-old Alan um, to be physically, mentally, and emotionally fit. I want the 68-year-old Alan to have a great connected relationship with his children, his family, his friends, his clients. And I want the 68-year-old Alan to be doing work at that time that he considers meaningful and in service of others. Uh, that's who I'm striving to become. Well, here's how I use that. In my day-to-day, -day, every single decision I make in my life, from what I watch on Netflix to who I follow on Instagram to whether or not I work out or eat something healthy, I run through the filter of, is making this decision going to take me closer to becoming that man or is it going to take me further away? I intentionally make it binary. It's just an easier framework for me to use. Mm. So I say with, you know, if I'm going to go to the gym and then eat something, you know, afterwards, is this workout and this meal going to take me closer to being physically fit or is it going to take me further away? And then my goal every single day of my life is to try to stack as many yeses as I possibly can. Now, I don't aim for perfection which is good because I'm far from it. I'm fallible, I'm flawed, I'm not batting a thousand and I definitely am not getting straight A's, but I am making progress. And in my opinion, if most of the decisions I make, most of the days of my life are congruent with becoming that person, then I'm designing my future in the present. You know, if you have me on your podcast 20 years from now for a reunion show, don't be surprised if when I'm 68, I am physically, mentally, and emotionally fit. If I have a great relationship with my kids and my friends, and at that time I'm doing work I consider meaningful and in service of others, don't be surprised because I'm, I'm creating that now in the present by the decisions I make. Now, one important note is I'm not delaying any of those things. I'm also reaping those benefits in present time because now's when I'm making those decisions. And I say this with humility, but with a tremendous amount of, of gratitude right now in my life, this is the most physically, mentally, and emotionally fit I've ever been. I have the best connection with my kids and friends that I've ever had. And currently as a keynote speaker and author, I am absolutely doing work that I consider meaningful and in service of others. So I'm, I'm living that life now, but I'm making sure that I'm laying the bricks to the foundation of that's who I'm going to be in the future. And the, the recalibration tool that I use is every night before I go to bed, I ask myself a simple question. I say, Alan, you just traded 24 hours of your life for the progress that you made today. Are you happy with that trade? And if the answer is yes, if most of the decisions I made in that day took me closer to being that person, then I get a very restful night's sleep. On the rare occasion that the answer is no, today was not my best day. I did not show up as my best version. I made some really poor decisions and I said some really stupid things. And that does happen occasionally. I give myself grace to be less than perfect 
and I give myself permission to be flawed and I still get a peaceful night's sleep because I know tomorrow I got another crack at this thing. Everyone who listens to our show knows Tim and I are passionate about obtaining financial freedom through real estate investing. We also know that everyone's situations and goals are different. And while there are programs out there that show you a path to financial freedom, many of these programs are just too cookie cutter and don't take your personality, situation, and desired outcome into account. Think about the number of times that you've watched a guru online and tried to do the exact same thing as they did, but had nowhere near the same results. You are not alone. When I got started, I was continually paying for courses and getting only partial results until I discovered the path that made sense for me. The results prove this out. Most online course creators have let us in on their dirty secrets that 90 to 95% of their students never complete their course and achieve their desired outcome. This is not something that we're okay with. The benefit of working with Tim and I is that we are interviewing between five and 20 people every single week. We have accumulated hundreds of seven-figure strategies and gotten inside scoop from these successful entrepreneurs. We're able to work with you to pick the strategy that will best fit and then help you create the custom plan to take you quickly into financial freedom. As a former math teacher, I always taught my students that the fastest way between two points is a straight line. If you want to get rid of the many curves in the road that can make the journey longer and more costly, then go to coaching.freedomchaserspodcast.com and book a call with us. And let's get you on a straight line path to freedom. Yeah, very similar, right, to athletes that miss a shot in a big game or they do these things. It's like you got to just wipe the slate clean, move forward. So you are here on this podcast this morning. I mean, you've been on some amazing podcasts. What does the reps look like for you today as a keynote speaker, author, et cetera? Well, there's a few different versions. So as a keynote speaker, my, my goal for my business is to do about 60 paid engagements a year. So, you know, average about one a week. Now, uh, anyone that's in this business knows that it's very seasonal. It ebbs and flows. I have some months where I'll do 10 engagements and I'll have other months where I'll do two. So I've also learned to lean into both of those. You know, when things are super busy and I'm on the road a lot, I'm thankful for the opportunity to be on stages sharing my passion. When things are slow, I get more free time. I get more time for self-care. I get more time with my kids. I get more time to write and record social content. So I lean in in either direction because I know that both are, are somewhat uncontrollable. Um, and, and for me, getting in that rhythm and that pattern is helpful. Um, I take a lot of pride in doing my due diligence and rehearsing and customizing a program for each and every client. Uh, which of course is harder to do if you have three engagements in one week. You know, it's like having three games in one week. Um, but but I am a stickler for my my preparation. But I've also found you know that that being guests on shows like this and having awesome conversations with amazing hosts like you is just good practice for me to articulate my perspective and practice my communication skills. I mean, I'm I'm not doing my keynote right now with you. I'm just having a conversation, but it still keeps the iron sharp. It's still, you know, it's still a, a practice in the ability to share my perspective, um, to be spontaneous and to answer questions that I have no idea what I'm going to be asked. So that also in between speaking engagements helps keep me sharp. And then I also have a daily writing practice. I mean, I, I write social content, you know, two to three times a week. Um, and it's the same thing. It's all under the umbrella of can I articulate my beliefs and my the lessons and strategies I've learned? And can I share them with others in a helpful way? So all of that kind of goes into what I do during the unseen hours to prepare as a keynote speaker. Absolutely incredible. And like, I found like being on this side of things, it's like, it's almost like being a comedian, right? In the way that you're just constantly putting the same message out, you're just tweaking and refining. And 
if you don't practice, it's amazing how rusty, how fast you could become as far as the way you deliver a story or the way you deliver this or that. Like, in addition to coming on the podcast and doing the speak engagements, do you have other things that you practice daily, like like your speeches or like what what's your reps look like when you're not on a stage or in front of a camera? Well, Matt, what a beautiful question. There's a couple thoughts that come to mind, and then let me put a pin in that question, and we'll get back to it. Hold me to that if for any reason my brain gets a little squirrely. For sure. First of all, when the pandemic hit in March of 2020, and I saw my in-person speaking calendar get wiped off the map, after about 48 hours of sheer panic and terror and massive anxiety, I figured... I still need to be of service to others, but as you just pointed out so beautifully, I still need to get reps. Like I knew that if I didn't do a speaking engagement for six, eight months, like I would be rusty. So I immediately switched and jumped into being able to do virtual offerings and share with groups, you know, in in as many ways as I could, because I wanted to get as many reps as I could to stay sharp. And I did hundreds of virtual engagements and podcasts during the height of the pandemic. So that when I did actually step back on stage at an in-person event, I was much less rusty. In fact, I felt really prepared. You know, I I've actually think speaking to groups virtually is harder than it is Wait. speaking in person. So I actually got to sharpen my saw doing things the hard way. And now that I'm back in front of people, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly grateful. So that was, that was certainly one area um, that, that I had to get those reps. The other thing you mentioned, you just mentioned stand-up comedy and I'm, I'm a huge stand-up comedy student. Now I'm a stand-up comedy fan because I like to laugh, but that doesn't make me unique, but I'm also a student of stand-up comedy and the way that they approach their craft. And many of the things that I do as a keynote speaker, I've modeled after the approach that stand-up comedians take. Now, um, my goal is to not necessarily be funny during a keynote. You know, I I like to add some levity because it's a connection tool between me and the audience, but I'm not on stage to tell jokes. I'm on stage to deliver practical, actionable lessons that people can implement, but I certainly try and use humor when I can. So for me, it's not trying to emulate the, the humor part, it's trying to emulate the process and the reps and trying new material and seeing what works and crafting a story. And when you tell that story, if parts of it don't work, you, you lift up the hood and you start to tinker with it and you try and fix the story. And, and sometimes that means condensing it. Sometimes that means, you know, elaborating a little bit more. But I've, I've found stand-up comedy to be a, a huge bonus um, and tool in trying to become a, a better speaker. Now, back to your original question, some of the other habits that I have, um, I've always been very into physical fitness. You know, I've always identified as an athlete and spending 20 years as a basketball performance coach, you know, I was always in the gym and around it. So for me, the physical fitness is the foundation to the mental and the emotional fitness. Now, uh, men's health is not going to call me anytime soon to be a cover model. And I don't think anyone in the NBA is going to call me for a 10 day contract. So I'm not doing it for any reason other than I want to look good. I want to feel good. And I want to perform well in everything that I do. And that starts with the physical. So, you know, I I have a a weekly workout routine. Um, I do some of the, what they call biohacking, you know, saunas and cold plunges. And I take athletic greens and, and certain things because I'm, I'm personally fascinated with longevity. You know, I mentioned the framework of where I want to be 20 years from now, but I have plans to live a very healthy hundred years on this planet. You know, I'm, I'm not even to halftime of my life yet. But I know that in order to live 100 years of vitality, uh, to have that type of longevity, 
I've got to be taking care of everything now. So I'm super into uh, Dr. Andrew Huberman, uh, Dr. Peter Atia, uh, Dr. David Sinclair, and the things that they share on longevity and, and living a vivacious life. So I do a lot of that stuff for my own person because I'm personally fascinated with it. Uh, I don't have very many traditional hobbies. I, I, I don't play golf. I don't smoke cigars. I don't fix cars. I don't know. I don't watch every NFL game that comes on. Most of my time is either spent with my children, with my girlfriend, working on my craft or doing self-care. Those are the big four buckets in my life. And I don't really do much outside of those four things. I'm, I'm kind of boring in, in all honesty. But I mean, that's, that's really what it is to be a professional athlete, to be a professional in your craft, right? Uh, is, is to really sacrifice pretty much everything but the family and the, you know, the, the key significant people in your life and then go after the craft. I love that. So let's talk about refocus. So obviously you're going to have setbacks. You're going to have problems. The people you're coaching are going to have problems. What role does refocusing play into that success? And then, and then what's the framework for that? I love that you said the word refocus because that really resonates with me. We, we all on some level know how important it is to have focus. But in today's day and age where we're constantly bombarded with a variety of distractions, most of which happen to be on the devices that people choose to be tethered to, um, I don't know that it's a realistic expectation for any of us to have long periods of sustained focus. What I think is a more valuable tool is having the awareness of knowing when we're unfocused or our mind wanders or we're distracted and having the ability and the awareness to refocus that lens. And I know I have to recalibrate dozens of times every single day to put my mind back on where it should be. Um, the, the, the question I ask myself numerous times throughout the day is I just take a deep breath and I ask myself, am I choosing to place my attention in what I consider most important in this moment? You know, obviously right now at this moment, having a, a discussion with you and providing value for your audience is my singular focus. This is the only thing that I'm, you know, conscious of at the moment. And because of that, I've turned my phone, you know, all the notifications off. I don't have any windows up on my laptop. I don't have the TV on. I'm not doing anything else except giving you my heart, mind, body, and soul so we can have a great discussion because I, I know you and your audience deserve that. And I, I want to show you that respect. Now, when this call is over, I need to have the discipline to then shift my focus to whatever the most important thing is for me to focus on at that moment. And, and it's those transitions where I think lots of times we get caught, we get caught, you know, distracted or our mind starts to wander. So for me, there was an acronym I heard, and I heard this about a decade ago uh, from Lou Holtz, the former uh, football coach at Notre Dame. And he used the acronym WIN, W-I-N, and it stands for what's important now. And ultimately, that's the question I ask myself dozens of times a day. Alan, what's important right now? If I'm with my children, I want to be fully present with them. They are what's most important. So I try not to let my phone or my work be more important when I'm with my kids. But when I'm on stage, that's what's most important, serving that audience or if I'm writing a piece of content. So I do the best I can to focus on one thing at a time. Um, I'm a self-diagnosed quote nerd. And, and one of my favorite quotes is, if you chase two rabbits, they both get away. So you need to figure out which one you're going after and go after that sucker and grab him by the tail. So for me, my day is, is a constant recalibration of trying to stay focused on what's most important. But most of the time, as you said so insightfully, it's the ability to refocus uh, because my, my mind wanders just as much as anyone else's. 
I can be squirrely like anybody else. So I have to put systems in place and create an environment that allows me to, to dive into focus. What's your vision for your life and business next 12 to 18 months? So my singular focus this year, and, and if you're familiar with John Gordon's approach to one word, which is instead of coming up with a, a litany of, of New Year's resolutions, pick one word that's going to be your focal point. And, and, and I've always really admired John's approach to that. Uh, my one word for this year is actually focus. And from a, a vocational standpoint, I chose to focus solely on growing my speaking business this year. So I, I stopped doing some coaching and consulting. I chose not to start writing my third book until next year. I'm putting all my eggs in my basket of my building my speaking business. Now, being guests on awesome podcasts like this with great hosts like you is in alignment with that. Because as we already covered, this gives me an opportunity to work on my you know, communication skills. And who knows, you may have someone watching or listening that wants to hire me as a keynote speaker. So it's also serving as, as some marketing. So this is an alignment. So really the only three things I do uh, is speaking on stage, is writing social content, and is being guests on podcasts. And, and of course, the speaking on stage uh, underneath that is all of the rehearsal and preparation. But those are the only three things I do work-related this entire year. And the cool thing is the net result is this is the best year I've ever had in speaking by about 25%. And the growth, I'm going to attribute all of the growth to this focus and going all in. When I was also trying to coach and consult and write and do a whole bunch of other things, I think I took my eyes off what was most important to me professionally, which was building the speaking business. Yeah. How many podcasts do you think you'll be on this year? Well, I have a spreadsheet. So since 2017, I've been a guest on almost 400 shows for that reason, because I believe in reps and it's, it's good marketing for the business. Um, this calendar year, yeah, it will probably end up close to 100. Love it. Absolutely love and, it. And, and I say this with a huge smile. I, I say that because it's, it's not the number and I don't want to devalue the experience that I have on anybody's show. I'm not just trying to rack up and just say, oh yeah, I've been on a hundred shows. Um, but the best way I can explain this, I'm gonna give you a basketball analogy. A very average player goes into the gym to shoot 500 shots. A really good player goes into the gym to make 500 shots. An elite level player goes into the gym to make one shot 500 separate times. And that's not verbal semantics. There's a difference to that approach. So right now, I'm not even remotely worried about the other 99 shows I may or may not be on. All that matters to me is you, your listeners and viewers, and this show. And then when this is over, I'll move to the next play and I'll figure out whatever's next. So it's not about just stacking podcasts. It's about making sure each one is meaningful and memorable and that I'm adding value and I'm simultaneously working on my craft. So let's talk about what is a made shot. Like if you were to analyze this podcast afterwards, how do you know if you made the shot? How do you know if, if, if it was a shot that missed? I love this. You're so insightful with everything you ask. It's very similar to speaking. So for this, when we're done, I'll have an evaluation with my own self-awareness of how I felt that I performed. And really the only thing that I'm concerned with is whether or not I'm adding value. Like I understand how valuable your time is, but I also understand how valuable your listeners and your viewers time is. And if anyone has been listening the entire time that we've been speaking, that is not lost on me. They're choosing to pay, 
to pay us with the most important currency they have, which is their attention. Now, whether they're on a treadmill, they're in their car, they're folding laundry, doesn't matter. They are choosing to listen to everything that you and I are saying. And I'm for that, uh, I, I hold that in very high regard and I'm, I'm very grateful. So for me, I'll ask myself, did I bring my best self? You know, did I bring the energy and enthusiasm? Did I show in this case, you and your listeners, the respect that I care enough to do my best to offer value? And then did I hit the mark? And I'll, I'll kind of give myself a rating on that. But then of course, I'll want to know if I hit the mark for you and your listeners. And, you know, many times um, that actually can be somewhat measured. You know, whenever this episode airs, if I get a few DMs on Instagram that says, you know, hey, Alan, I, I heard you and really enjoyed the conversation, then I'll at least know that I, I hit the mark. You know, I don't need that for my self-worth or my confidence or self-belief. I just want to know that I'm hitting the target of what I'm trying to do. And, and a perfect world is when those two things align. When, when you and I hang up and I go, all right, that went well. You send me an email that said, hey, Alan, thanks. I thought that went well. And I get a few DMs from some of your listeners and viewers that said we enjoyed the conversation. That's the ultimate trifecta. And I go, all right, we hit the target. Um, but sometimes they're not in alignment. You know, there'll be times where I'll get off and this is whether off stage or off mic. And I'll go, Alan, you nailed it, man. You absolutely killed it. And the host and the listeners and viewers, it didn't necessarily resonate with them. And I have to be okay with that. There have been other times where I've thought to myself, Alan, you, you weren't on your best today. You, you didn't bring the A game that you should have. And yet the host or the listeners will say that was one of the best things that we've ever heard. So they're not always in alignment. So for me, it's, it's going to kind of ebb and flow. But one of my general principles is uh, I try not to worry about things that are outside of my control. With every single thing that I'm saying, once it leaves my mouth and hits the airwaves, I no longer own it anymore. I don't control whether or not you like what I say or if what I say resonates. And I certainly don't control whether or not your listeners find this valuable. I hope that those things are true, but I don't control it. And all I can do moving forward was if for any reason this didn't hit the mark for you or your listeners and viewers, if you were to give me some constructive feedback on maybe how I could have hit the mark better, then I'll warmly accept that and I'll use that moving forward to become a better version of myself. But I know that was a mouthful, but it, it really is an interesting dynamic because, you know, I'm, I'm not here to, to pander for anyone's affection or adoration, but at the same time, my entire goal is to help others and serve others and light other people's candles. And I need to know whether or not I'm doing that. Absolutely. And you are a two-time author for so those people that are out there listening and not watching, you've got sustain your game and raise your game as books so they can grab those. But if someone wanted to hire you as a speaker, how would they do that? The best thing to do is just go to allensteinjr.com. My website's kind of the hub of everything I do. And there's a ton of resources on that page for folks to check out, video samples to watch, to see if my message is something that would resonate. There's a contact form that my team and I will get back to someone immediately if they have an interest in, in an event or if they want to bring me in to talk to their team or organization. Uh, I'm also very easily uh, accessible and very responsive on social media. Uh, I'm at Alan Stein Jr. on Instagram and Twitter uh, and just Alan Stein Jr. on LinkedIn. Uh, shoot me a DM. Let me know what you thought of our conversation, if you found it helpful or if you have a question. I'm always good about getting back to folks on that. And yeah, as you mentioned with the two books, uh, you can pick up Raise Your Game or Sustain Your Game on Audible, uh, if you listen to books, or Amazon, if you like reading, or anywhere you get books and audiobooks. 
Awesome. Alan, thank you so much for coming on and sharing about your life and your business. There's so many takeaways that I'm going to unpack when I watch this later. I know obviously the acronym you brought up with WIN is, is already like stirring through my brain and so much about the reps and the practice and, and just how you go about structuring your life and you know those types of things. So guys, you might've taken away something completely different. Write down something you learned, share it with somebody you know so they can hold you accountable because freedom is acquired one action at a time. If you take steps day by day before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next episode. Please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Engagement is like gold to us. We can't do what we're doing without it. Reviews and subscriptions, particularly on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube, are worth more than money. So please do what you can to support the show. 